Welcome to War in the Spirit, your resource for spiritual breakthrough and warfare, empowering you as believers to tap into your authority using the tools provided by God to bring about supernatural shifts. Hey, spiritual warriors, welcome back to War in the Spirit podcast. This is Faith Cawthon Green back for a brand new episode of War in the Spirit. This week, I decided to add a new platform for the podcast. Um, I decided to do it in video format also. So if you would like to see the video, you can go to my YouTube channel at War in the Spirit Live and tune in there. So we are back for season six, episode number two, entitled Down the Drain. So for those of you who are regular listeners of War in the Spirit, um, normally I build off of the previous episode with a new episode. So last week's episode was entitled Secrets in the Kingdom. And if you haven't listened to it, I would encourage you to go back and listen to episode number one before listening to this episode because it's going to build on some of the things that we talked about. So as we've been talking about Secrets in the Kingdom, Let's talk about how some of those secrets are to be addressed. So last week we talked about the fact that part of the problem in the kingdom is that there are too many secrets, too many things being hidden, too many issues of the heart that have not been exposed, too many uh, uh, heart broken heart postures, wounded places, places where we're not addressing issues. And we just kind of want to sweep things under the rug. So as... I was thinking about this episode and God was showing me what he wanted me to impart to you. I had a dream and in the dream, there was a garbage disposal and, and, and there was a sink, but under the sink where the disposal was supposed to be was a basket of cleaning products. And so what God was showing me is that the process of cleanup in the church is broken. Because the church is choosing to dispose of people who make mistakes and send them away to perpetuate their cycles of brokenness elsewhere instead of helping them get clean as the church is designed to do. You see, it's an issue of disposal versus repurposing. You see, God doesn't desire to throw anyone away. That's why he keeps coming after us. Even when we disobey him, even when we mess up, he still comes after us. And that's what he wants his church to do too. He wants his church to come after the lost people. He wants his church to come after those who make mistakes, not to run them away, but to bring them in so that the church can help them get clean. Peter denied Jesus three times and Jesus even told Peter that it would happen and Peter said he would never deny Jesus. Even knowing all of that, Peter was unable to resist his fleshly ways. However, Jesus still said, upon this rock, I build my church. Why? Because Jesus knows that every single one of us has shortcomings. 
And his church is not built on perfections, but perfect pursuit of his heart. That's why the word says David was a man after God's own heart. David committed some of the most heinous sins, but his pursuit of God was unparalleled. His worship was unparalleled. You see, God does not want us to dispose of his children. No matter how many mistakes they make, how bad the situation is, he wants us to help uproot the up. He wants us to help uproot those carnal afflictions and replant them into their purpose. But we are so busy throwing people away. The church is too worried about how the world will perceive it or the influence or the opportunity it may lose in the world, completely forgetting that it is God who grants true influence, true opportunity and true access. It is God who opens doors that no man can shut. So imagine what God will do for his church when it truly begins to operate in the way that he designed it. See, we're afraid of PR nightmares and news stories, but God doesn't care about any of that. He cares about the hearts of his people, and we are failing miserably at that. Oh, but we're great at publicity and news stories, showing the world all the great things, see my air quotes, that the church is doing in the community. Meanwhile, the hearts of the people are perishing. They may be getting physical food from us. We may have our food pantries and our feed the homeless, but spiritually, the people are dying under the church's care because the church is not feeding them with the right things. The church cares about the publicity of what can be outwardly seen of what they're doing, but God cares about what the church is doing inwardly in the hearts of the people. Matthew 4, 1 through 4 says, Then Jesus led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. You see, the church has allowed the enemy to tempt it with his bait of publicity, financial increase, platforms, worldly influence and opportunity for far too long. And at what cost? at the cost of the souls of the people. You see, we are chewing on false leaven bread, not dealing with the truths that need to be dealt with in order to recalibrate the church into its proper position. And let's just take a turn right here and talk about one of the biggest things that I hear people talk about in the church. Church hurt. And let's just call it what it is. Offense. This is one of the biggest things that is causing the people to remain broken and out of position. 
If I had a dollar for every person that I heard say they stopped going to church, they left the ministry, they're doing their own thing because of church hurt, I would be rich. But are you willing to allow the actions of somebody else to cost you your salvation because you don't want to deal with the issues of your own heart? God needs to wash all these broken processes down the drain with this throwaway culture that we have in the church. Matthew 18, 15 through 20 says, now, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that on the testimony of two or three witnesses, every matter may be confirmed. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, he is to be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be shall have been loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything they may ask. It shall be done for them by my father in heaven for where two or three have gathered together in my name. I am there in the midst. But you see what's happening is we're not going to our brothers and sisters to deal with our issues. We are remaining in offense. We are casting people out because of their problems. We're not coming into agreement with their healing. Nothing can be bound and nothing can be loosed because we can't get on one accord to do it. Down the drain with offense. It's time to neutralize the enemy in the church. You see, the attacks on the church are not even coming from the outside. The enemy lies inside the four walls of the church inside the walls of the hearts of the people. We've not been able to neutralize the enemy's influence because we have yet to neutralize our own offense with each other and with ourselves. First Peter chapter two verses one through 10 says, therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander and like newborn babies, look for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord and coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by people, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see, we are living stones that build up the church, not a physical building. We are living stones that build up the temple of God and the temple lives within us. It lies within our hearts, but we can't be living stones because our hearts are broken, because they're wounded, because they're empty because they're darkened, because they're afflicted. We cannot be the temple. 
Verse six says, for this is contained in scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. The one who believes in him will not be put to shame. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for unbelievers, a stone which the builders rejected. This became the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling block, a rock of offense, for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this they were also appointed. <laughs> See, by your disobedience, by your inability to deal with your issues, you become a stumbling block, a rock of offense, not only for other people, but for yourself. Verse nine says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We keep stumbling over each other and tripping each other up because we won't deal with the issues of our own hearts. We want to blame other people when the truth is offense can only trip you up if your vision isn't calibrated to see it and step over it. Offense is a result of the condition of our own hearts, not the actions of another. So please stop tripping over your secrets. There are too many secrets in the kingdom. The enemy doesn't even need an army to defeat us. We keep defeating ourselves because we refuse to acknowledge the conditions of our own hearts, our own hurts, our own wounds, so that God can address them and heal us and thus heal the kingdom down the drain with stumbling blocks, down the drain with finger pointing. It's time for the people of God to truly look in the mirror. First Corinthians 13, nine through 13 says, for we know in part and prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope and love remain these three, but the greatest of these is love. You see, we are so misaligned with God because we have not become perfect in love. 
We all want to operate in the gifts of his spirit, but we can't be made perfect in our gift until we're made perfect in love. And we can't be made perfect in love until we're looking in the mirror and seeing the true reflection of ourselves. Just as God has seen us fully, we've only been looking in the mirror dimly and God is trying to show you the truth about yourself, about who you are, about who he created you to be, about your true kingdom identity, but you're refusing to look in the mirror. God made you perfect in his love when he created you. He created you in love. And in order for the kingdom to thrive, love must be the driving force. Not just love for God, not just love for other people, but love for yourself. Love yourself enough to address your truths. Love yourself enough to get your healing. Love yourself enough to deal with the condition of your heart so that then you can help other people can deal with then you can help other people deal with the conditions of their hearts because hurt people just hurt people you see those broken people are the least of these Matthew 25, 31, we're going to read 34 through 40, says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did it for me. You see, the broken, the wounded, the afflicted, the bound, the sick are the least of these. And what is the church doing to the least of these? Disposing of them. I don't care what position they held, how disappointed you are in them, what they were supposed to do. They are still a child of the most high God. And you may not cast them out to dine with the pigs. It is our job as the people of God, as the rightful bride of Christ to set the captives free. Isaiah 61, one through four says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord anointed me to bring good news to the humble. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. To grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the cloak of praise instead of a disheartened spirit. So they will be called oaks 
of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up from the former devastations and they will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. You see, when we as the church free the captives, they will go forth and teach nations and the world will rise up from the ashes and they will harvest souls. So if you're looking at the world right now and going, oh my God, there's so much to do. How are we gonna fix this, Lord? Everything is out of order. You gotta ask yourself, where's the church? Why isn't the church having the impact it's supposed to have? Why? Because we're disposing of the people instead of cleaning them up. Because we're not setting the captives free. We're sending them off into bondage in another place. The harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few because the church has held itself captive for far too long. Now, God must set it free so that his purpose in the earth can truly be fulfilled. It's time to get out of our own way. The church hasn't even entered the battlefield yet to fight the kingdom of darkness because it can't even get over its own issues to unite for the fight. We are too busy fighting each other. Down the drain with self-bondage. Down the drain with affliction. Down the drain with deflection. It's time for forgiveness and recalibration. We need to put our night vision goggles on. See, because the enemy has surrounded us with so much darkness that we can't see the truth. Put on those night vision goggles. Stop looking into the natural and start seeing the truth in the spirit. Down the drain with self-righteous attitudes. Jesus was the most righteous man to walk the face of the earth. And even he, who has the right to be self-righteous, was nothing of the sort. So who do we think we are to take this self-righteous posture and discard of God's people just because they have made some mistakes? You know, I saw this post on Facebook and it was this girl. She had a tattoo on her arm and, she, and it said, Judas ate too. And it made me think about that in Matthew 26, um, about the, the Last Supper. Jesus knew that G Judas was going to betray him. But he still allowed him to sit at the table. He didn't even condemn him after he betrayed him. Judas condemned himself. Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus didn't condemn her. He read her her rights. And then he said, now drink this living water in John chapter four. Jesus saved the adulterous woman from being stoned in John chapter eight. She, she was ready to be stoned <clears throat> And he approaches the people and he says, let he who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. 
And then he says to the woman, no one condemned you. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you. Now go from now on and do not sin any longer. Who are we to discard of the people of God? In John 11, 11, it says, truly, I say to you, among these born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So here it is, a man that was sent to prepare the way for Jesus. And even he is not greater than the least of these in the kingdom. So who are we to dispose of the people of God? Matthew 18, 12 through 14 says, what do you think if any man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray? Will he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that is lost? And if it turns out that he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that have not gone astray. So is not the will of your father who is in heaven for those of these, for one of these little ones to perish? Who are we to decide that those sheep need to remain lost because they're dirty? Because they don't look as clean as we think they should. You know, it's so interesting to me that we don't put enough emphasis on how Jesus says them, how Jesus puts emphasis on children. And he says, such is the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 18, 1 through 6, it says, at the time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he, and he called a child to himself. And set him among them and said, truly, I say to you, unless you change and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So whoever will humble himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin is better for him that a heavy millstone be hung around his neck and that he be drowned in the depths of the sea. You know, the, the beautiful thing about children is children are resilient. Children are not judgmental. Children are forgiving. Children welcome you with open arms. So we need to ask ourselves, how do we need to recalibrate if such is the kingdom of heaven and we don't look anything like that? First Corinthians 13 says, uh, this is verse four, love is patient, love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act disgracefully. It does not seek its own benefit. It is not provoked, does not keep an account of wrong suffered. Hey, offense. Love doesn't keep offense. Verse six says, it does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It keeps every confidence. It believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. 
But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away with. Why? Because if you have no love, those gifts cannot operate in wholeness. Your gift is only made perfect in love. So if you can't operate in and through the love of God, your gift is rendered inoperable. Stop disposing of God's people for their mistakes. You see, the church doesn't want to get his hands dirty. Jesus knew he had to get his hands dirty. He touched lepers and those possessed by demons. And yet somehow the church is too good to get his hands dirty. Afraid to sully its reputation, which is already dirty in the world because of his own actions. The church has forgotten its place and taken on a self-righteous attitude. Now, since the water that was in the church is dirty, muddy water, God is sending new water, a fresh anointing and a new guard into the church to flush it out. You see, there is a changing of the guard in the church. He's sending a new guard who is not afraid to get their hands dirty. He's sending a new guard who is not afraid to help the people get clean. He's sending a new guard who doesn't care what the world thinks. It's time to flush out all this dirt. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice of getting dirty by becoming flesh. So who are we to think we are too good to help people out of the mud? Instead, we let them sink in their mess alone like quicksand because we don't want to be associated with it. But the true model of a clean heart is the willingness to help another get clean. If you love me, feed my sheep. John 21 verses 15 through 17 says, Now when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. You know, this is the same Peter that denied Jesus three times. And it's so significant that Jesus is now following his denial, asking him three times, do you really love me, Peter? Because here it is, your mouth can say one thing, but your walk has to match it. You see, at some point in our lives, we all lose our way. And if God said, I'm not getting my hands dirty to clean them up, where would we be? 
If a doctor was afraid to get his or her hands dirty, how could they treat anyone? You see, the church is a hospital and our leaders are like the doctors meant to treat all the ailments of the people, not just the ones that aren't messy. The true way to have a pure heart is to not be afraid to get your hands dirty to help the people get clean. It's not to be worried about how it will be perceived if you connect yourself to them. You see, even Jesus was found dining with tax collectors and sinners. In Matthew chapter two, verses 15 through 17, it says, and it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples for there were many of them and they were following him. When the scribes and the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Down the drain with separation, down the drain with condemnation, and down the drain with indignation. There is a changing of the guard. 1 John 2 verses 25 through 29 says, this is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. And as for you, the anointing which you received from, his remains in, from him remains in you. And you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you remain in him. Now, little children, remain in him so that he appears. We may have confidence and not draw back from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness also has been born of him. You see, the anointing is in you. And oftentimes what happens is we allow people to be the middleman between us and God. And God is tired of that. God, there are people who are misaligned, who are leading you down the wrong path because you won't tap into and connect to your own anointing, which is in you and teaches you all things and does not lie to you and reveals to you the truth. Now it's time to tap into your anointing so that you can see the truth about yourself and about those who you surround yourself with and those who you allow to pour into you. It's time to withdraw from, from the teachings of fleshly people, from the carnal doctrines and misplaced agendas, and to lean again on the anointing, on the spirit of God, which was placed within you when he created you, when he formed you in the womb. 
down the drain with false doctrines, down the drain with personal agendas, down the drain with misalignment, down the drain with the flesh. God is about to send this current institution of the church down the drain and pour fresh water into his kingdom. There's an anointing coming to return back to our true kingdom identity, to our true kingdom purpose and anointing to reconnect with him and anointing to return to our place as the body and the rightful bride of Christ. Down the drain with tradition, down the drain with religion. It is time to loose and reconnect with relationship. Down the drain with everything else. Nothing will be left standing except the truth after this pressure washing of God's people. Stop disposing of God's people because of their mistakes. And not only is that a word for you and your posture toward other people, it's also a word for you and your posture toward yourself. You are more than a sum of your mistakes. You see, the reason that the enemy can continue to plague us with our mistakes, the reason that we stay in the posture, in the cycles that we get stuck in is because we're holding on to it. Because as soon as you repent from that thing and you decide to turn away from it, God erases it. But because we're not willing to allow it to go down the drain, because we torment ourselves with our own mistakes, because we dispose of ourselves because of our own mistakes, it leaves a playground for the enemy in our mind and in our hearts. And he keeps reminding us of that mistake and reminding us of that mistake. And eventually we look up and we're repeating that cycle, that same mistake again, because the last time we didn't let it go. It's time to recalibrate. It's time to let those old ways, those old mindsets, those old seasons, those old wounds, those old hurts, those broken places and spaces, that offense. It's time to let it go down the drain so that healing can commence, so that we can fight the real battle and not the battle with ourselves. We can't fight a battle to take back the world for the kingdom if we're constantly fighting ourselves, not just each other. We're fighting each other and we're also having these internal battles and struggles within ourselves because we won't own our truths. It's time to look in the mirror, own your truths, deal with the condition of your heart, Step out of offense and into love, not just love for others, not just love for God, but love for self. So we can begin to unite and fight the real battle so we can usher back in the glory and the power so we can be living stones to rebuild the true temple and become the proper bride of Christ, the influencer that the world needs right now. 
there's a changing of the guard. Will you be a part of it? So spiritual warriors, I am charging you now to rise up and do what is necessary to prepare yourself to be the true army of God. Because right now we're weak and broken soldiers, not fit for battle. I am charging you to take inventory of yourself, how you deal with yourself and how you deal with other people so that we can flush out all this mess in God's church so that we can make room for him to refill us so that we can experience the true power and glory so that we can truly become temples for him because the only way that that can happen is if we're willing to get clean. That's the word that God gave me to give you this week. And I pray so desperately that you heed it, that you respond to it, that you take it to God. Don't take my word for it. Take what I've said and take it back to God and let him show you what you need to know. No man should ever be the final word over your life. God is the final word. And I expect for you as spiritual warriors to understand that everything that you receive must be tested by the spirit. So take this word back to the spirit and test it. And let God show you the truth of what you need to know for yourself. And I'm going to pray because I'm feeling the need to do this. Father God, I'm praying right now. We come before you, Father, with humility like we've never had before, God. Laying ourselves on your altar, God. Laying our hearts on your altar, our minds on your altar, our spirits on your altar, Father, so that you can clean us up, Father. That we may step into position to be not thrown away, but to be repurposed, uprooted, and replanted into our purpose, into your kingdom, Father. For we know that we've made some mistakes. God, and we turn and repent for those mistakes right now. We acknowledge that we have been broken, misaligned people. We turn, God. We surrender to you in a new way today, God. We surrender to you. We, we ask for forgiveness for disobedience. We ask for forgiveness for misalignment. We ask for forgiveness for sinful nature, God. For idolatry, God, for whatever we have placed on above you in our lives, God, we surrender to you so that you may put our lives in the proper order. God, I ask right now that the conviction will strike the hearts of every person that tunes into this broadcast and that they will feel the weight of your reproach to get in position, 
that they will feel the weight of your glory shining into their lives, into their hearts, into their minds, into their spirits, that they may recalibrate. I ask you right now, God, that you would open their eyes and enlighten them to the truth like they've never known it before, that you will show them themselves in the mirror, things that they need to be cleaning up and things that they didn't even know that existed, that they may see the true light of you inside of them, God. That they may remember that they are more than the sum of their mistakes, that you do not throw people away you desire to clean us up and replant us. I pray right now, God, that as we step into this new season of realignment, as, as you do what's necessary to show us how to kill our flesh, God, that we will accept it, accept the process, that we will yield to it, and that we will do what is necessary to come into alignment with your will for our individual lives and with your will in the earth. I pray all these things in the mighty matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You know, if any of you out there are struggling, if you're hurt, if you're wounded, if you're trying to figure out where in the world do I start? How do I commence doing this? How do I reestablish my relationship with God? How do I gain insight into what my purpose is and you want help? Reach out. You can contact me uh, via email at warinthespirit12 at gmail.com. If you feel led to sow, please sow. And and. I like to tell people this all the time. Seeds are not just money. God will show you. Let the spirit show you where, how, and what to sow. If you could be sowing a seed of sacrifice, a seed of service, a seed of obedience, or it may be a financial seed, whatever it may be, let the spirit show you. If you feel led to sow into this ministry, you may do so at cash app dollar sign war in the spirit or at venmo war in the spirit 12. i'm praying for you i love you so much and i want to see god's prosperity and abundance flood your life but you gotta get in position i love you have an awesome wonderful week Bye.